Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. And Father, we just want to build upon what we've just been singing together. Do let us hear. Do let us hear your word clearly tonight and move our hearts to do your will. And we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, please do sit down. As you uh, sit down, it'd be very good if you could be turning back in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5 and page 969 in the Church Bibles, 969. And uh, the particular passage we're looking at tonight is uh, from chapter 5, verse 21 through to 32. Um, Also amongst the papers you were given on the way in is uh, uh, an outline that looks like that, and you might like to... Use that to see where we are. Now I want to confess at the beginning that um, whenever my children leave for school in the mornings, I go through a, a very nervous moment, an extremely nervous moment. And that's because I know uh, the kind of place that they're going into. I can remember that from my own experience and remember uh, just how much school is a place of those those kind of animal passions that very often are just b- below the surface, but that any moment could burst out into to bullying or, or violence. Uh, the children I'm sending out are teenagers, uh, going in amongst teenagers, uh, fizzing with hormones, and uh, of course things like pornography are, are more easily available than they ever have been before in the history of the world. Uh, their friends, I know, will be making and finishing relationships with one another, you know, doing things like going out for a while and then casually breaking it off. And as they go out of that door, I really, really don't want them to get caught up in such things for their own good. And I would dearly love, dearly love them to stand out as different in that place. But at that moment when they go out through the door, I feel, well, powerless to do very much about it. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Uh, what we're discovering on these Sunday evenings is there's something bigger than that going on, involving a much larger and greater family. And this time, we all are the children. And uh, we're members of God's family, his missionary family. And it's our Father, our Father in heaven, who's sending us out. Uh, but a similar question applies, and a similar nervousness How is this going to be possible? How are we going to stand out as different? Well, we've been reminded over these last few weeks that, that of course, the answer to that lies in Jesus Christ, in all that he has done and in all that he has drawn us into. And I've reminded you in that sketch, uh, that brief outline on the handout, that the moment that we see that most clearly in the Gospel of Matthew is actually right at the end of the Gospel. Uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where the disciples of Jesus are sent out to make disciples in all the world. That's where we began in this series just a few weeks ago. Because, you see, that's the moment. That's the moment in the Gospel when Jesus' saving work is done. And when his teaching in the Gospel finally makes sense. And, if you like, kicks into action. That's the moment at which the disciples need to be reminded how to do the task that they've been given to do, making disciples in all the nations. 
And so it's from that point, right at the end of the gospel, that we've turned back in the gospel uh, to some of Jesus' actual teaching, beginning here in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, perhaps the main thing we've seen so far, I I think, uh, the key verse that we've seen so far would be uh, chapter 5 and verse 16, where Jesus says to us, Let your light shine before all people, that they may see what you do, may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. And now, as we finally, finally get to what Jesus actually teaches about putting that verse into action, uh, I think it is probably vitally important to keep all of that background uh, firmly in mind. So two things especially to keep firmly in mind. First, that the main thing that Jesus is doing in this sermon is preparing his disciples for mission. In other words, this is for people who have already been served by Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, for people who have already been drawn into God's family, who already have their identity tied up in Jesus. This is about equipping them, equipping them to fulfill their new purpose in life. And the second thing to keep in mind, and we were looking at this last week, is that it's only what Jesus teaches that's going to be up to the task. And if you were puzzled last week by chapter 5 and verse 20, uh, where Jesus warned that following the Pharisees or the teachers of the law would lead to disaster, well, this week, you'll begin to see why. This week, we should see why their teaching falls so far short of what is needed for this task of taking light out into the world, and why we need the much deeper teaching that comes from the lips of Jesus himself. And we're going to see that in three key areas of life tonight. What we're going to see tonight is practical instruction on how to shine brightly. Practical instruction on how to shine brightly to the praise of our Father in a world that's ruled by these animal passions of anger, of lust, and faithlessness. And uh, we're simply going to take those three areas in turn tonight, beginning with Jesus' teaching on shining brightly in a world of anger. Shining brightly in a world of anger. So this is in verses 21 through to 26. And I want you to notice as we look at this together tonight that there's a pattern in this teaching. We'll see this across Jesus' teaching in this section of the sermon. That there's a movement in what he says from uh, an incomplete teaching, an inadequate teaching, uh, to a much more fuller and deeper and complete teaching. And then finally to a call to practical action. We'll see that in this teaching on anger. First, the complete and inadequate, incomplete and inadequate teaching. This is verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard, and this is something they will have heard from their, their teachers of the law. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And then we get Jesus' expansion on that in verse 22. But I tell you, he says, That may well be true. That is indeed true. But it is not enough on its own. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now you can see here that the disciples do already know, probably already know that anger is wrong. Uh, They know, middle of verse 22, that insulting a brother will get them into trouble with the courts. 
Uh, that's also true for us today. I don't know whether you knew that under the 1986 uh, Public Order Act, it is illegal in England and Wales to engage in, quote, insulting words or behaviour. Although you may have also seen in the news that there's a campaign to have that law repealed. Uh, but going back to the first century, what the disciples haven't yet grasped is, is how such anger will also not just get you in trouble with the courts, it will also get you into trouble with God and indeed the judgment of hell. Now imagine that in the crowd who are sort of kind of listening into all this as Jesus speaks, um, they were gasping with incredulity as Jesus was saying this. After all, who isn't angry from time to time? Who doesn't ever say something careless that provokes anger in someone else? Uh, But think about it for a moment. Think about what drives people to things like violence and murder. Typically, it is anger. And sometimes for various reasons, that, that, that same anger doesn't result in the violence, the physical violence, or in the murder. But this is the thing. Does that make it any less serious? Philip Jensen, who's a Bible teacher in Sydney, tells very movingly of the moment when the seriousness of this struck him, really, for the first time. He was trying to get one of his children, who was then a baby, to to sleep in the middle of the night. But the baby just wouldn't stop screaming. And there was a moment, and most parents will probably be able to empathize with this, there was a moment when he was so inflamed with anger and frustration that he really quite shocked himself. And he says that it was, it was then that he fully realized the full depth of his own depravity, that at that moment he came so close, so close to harming his own child. I think about my own anger over the years. And I do wonder, I do wonder, suppose every angry outburst I've ever had, suppose each one of them had actually resulted in someone dying. I mean, just imagine what that would be like in your case too. You know, what kind of gross serial killer would I then be? What kind of carnage would I then then wrecked across the country, uh, including my own family? If you've seen the uh, recent Avengers film, which I I know probably isn't everyone here tonight, let me put it like this. We all have our inner Hulk. We all have that part of us eager to bring destruction when people upset us. So what does Jesus expect us to do? Well, this is back in chapter 5, verse 5. Look back. that with me. He expects us to be meek. He expects us to lay down our arms and surrender and to find the forgiveness of sins that comes through him. And then he expects us to become, chapter 5 verse 9, peacemakers. Peacemakers caught up in the peace that God is bringing to a world torn apart by anger and violence. That is bringing reconciliation in our wake where we brought carnage before. And to encourage us in that, Jesus gives us two examples in his, his teacher teaching on anger late, later on in the chapter. 
The first, this is in verses 23 and 24. Uh, you can see it's about remembering on the way to make a sacrifice that you have offended your brother, provoking him to anger. And Jesus says, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. That might seem a slightly remote example to you, not particularly relevant to your experience, but I, I strongly suspect that this, this example is meant to remind us of a, another story in the Bible, the story of Cain and Abel, right at, back at the beginning of the Bible. You might know and remember that Cain and Abel are brothers who both offer sacrifices to God. But Cain is so angry, so overcome with angry at his brother, that he murders him. It was indeed the first murder, the start of a dark shadow which then spread all over the world. Well, the time for that dark shadow to be swept back has come. Look at the extraordinary change that Jesus is bringing in as he comes as light into the world. Jesus says this to his followers now, now I am bringing light into that darkness and where there was anger and murder before, you, you are to bring calm and reconciliation. The second example there, in verses 25 and 26, I think is a bit more general. You have an issue with anyone, says Jesus? Settle it quickly. Now, the judge in this example probably stands in for God, reminding us, reminding us of the seriousness of the situation. Perhaps you've deliberately provoked someone. Settle it quickly. Perhaps it was accidental. It doesn't matter. Settle it quickly. So this is the pattern that we should be setting in the coming week. Settle it quickly. You go out into the workplace, uh, and it will happen. You know, there's going to be anger there. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be hurt feelings. Settle it quickly. Perhaps this week you'll be speaking with members of your wider family. Perhaps there are issues, perhaps there are arguments, resentments. Settle it quickly. You have an issue with someone in the church family, perhaps. Settle it quickly. But if Jesus' teaching on anger doesn't grab us here, the next area he turns to certainly should, I think. How do we go about being different in a world that's obsessed with lust. This is what Jesus deals with next, shining brightly in a world of lust. Shining brightly in a world of lust. It's verses 27 through to 30. And it's exactly the same pattern we saw before. First of all, Jesus tells us about the kind of teaching from the law that's not enough to shine brightly in the world. You have heard from your teachers of the law, he says, that it was said, do not commit adultery. And yes, again, that is right, as far as it goes. But then Jesus tells us what else we need to know to do the task that we've been given to do. Verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That is, lust at a distance is also a form of adultery. Well, the verse might actually go like this, and perhaps this is the way it should be translated. Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman so that she lusts has already misled her to adultery in his heart. 
That is, it's the, the flirtatious look that leads someone else responding with lust. He's also, says Jesus, a form of adultery. Now, either way, we can see that it's, it's not enough simply to avoid an actual physical affair. When people play out adultery in their minds, that is also adultery, says Jesus. It doesn't really matter whether we're talking about flirting or or ogling or ogling through the medium of pornography or even just fantasizing. It all amounts to the same thing in the end, adultery in the heart. And I hope you can see here that this is not just an issue for men. You might think of that first. Men may well have a particular problem with pornography, though it does seem to be an increasing problem for women too. But flirting, fantasy, these are practices which span the sexes. Lustful looks, flirting, pornography, sexual or relational fantasy... Now, we all know that the truth about our world is that pretty much everyone, without exception, indulges in these things in one way or another. (laughs) There really are no exceptions, are there? So says Jesus to his disciples, to stand out as different, genuinely different, to stand out as people on the way to the kingdom of heaven, you must cut these things out of your lives. And that takes us to the third part of Jesus' teaching here, the practical action we should take. And as you can see in verses 23 and, uh, 29 and 30, it is painfully radical. Jesus says this, If something causes you to stumble, cut it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, let's be clear about one thing from the start here. Jesus is not talking about physical amputation here. The historian Eusebius uh, says that Oregon, one of the church fathers, castrated himself on the basis of these verses. In fact, uh, amputation like that was so common in the early church, they had to ban the practice specifically. But, of course, you cannot amputate the heart which is where the problem ultimately lurks. And Oregon himself later changed his mind, saying this, the Christian amputates the passions of the soul without touching the body. Extraordinary thing, isn't it? What a thing to make a mistake on. Must have been kicking himself. If he had any legs left, that is... So we must say that it's not enough just to do the surface thing. It's just not enough to put certain rules in place, like no second looks, good as though that rule is. It's not enough for us all to join accountability groups or to buy internet filter software. Such things can be, and will be up to a point, helpful. But Jesus is clearly after something much deeper than that here. He wants us to cut out these things at the root. And if you, like me, are feeling utterly desperate and powerless to do that, well, good. 
actually that is the best place, the very best place to start on this. You see, it's that desperation that should take us back to rediscover our identity as forgiven sinners in Christ. And in the Sermon on the Mind, it should take us back to the beginning of the sermon. We're going to need to do this time and time again. Back to the Beatitudes at the beginning. Let me take you back to chapter 5, verse 6, for example. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, here is the desperate disciple, broken and humble before his God, hungering and thirsting to shine to the praise of God, but feeling utterly incapable of being able to do it. Now, will you believe the promise in that verse afresh? Will you believe that in your desperation, Jesus will serve you? That in fact, he came to die and be raised for the forgiveness of your sins. That he then came to draw you in to personally participate in the amazing thing that God is now doing in the world. So that you can stand out as different. Like the disciple in chapter 5 verse 8 in fact. Later on in the Beatitudes. Chapter 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Says Jesus. For they will see God. Now just ponder with me that that verse for a moment what is it in the end that could cause our lust to die and wither what is it in the end that that might be effective in purifying our hearts for the french novelist uh, francois muriac who, who was plagued by the guilt of lust all of his life it was in fact this verse this very verse which made all the difference for him he wrote this So far, so far nothing has succeeded in keeping me from lust. But here, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, I found a description of what I was missing out on. Look at the promise in that verse once again. They will see God. This is just an amazing promise, isn't it? It's probably only with the blazing fire of that promise, of that that vision. It's only with that 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 can draw away the oxygen from our lust and extinguish it in the end. Now I know, I know myself just how hard it is to keep that vision in place. But if we do, if we do slowly, gradually, we will be able to say, How wonderful to be under this blessing. How wonderful to be different, set apart. How wonderful to let God sweep my mind clean of all the stuff that in the past has dragged me down and slowed me down and held me back from knowing God. Held me back from loving the serving, serving the people around me. How wonderful to be clear of all that. How wonderful it would be To become, by God's grace, a person the opposite sex can feel completely safe with and unthreatened by. That's the vision that Jesus is setting before us here. How wonderful it would be to become, by God's grace, a person the opposite sex can feel completely safe with and unthreatened by.
But Jesus isn't uh, done yet with his teaching on adultery. Uh, Take a look finally at uh, verses 31 and 32 with me. This is Jesus' teaching on shining brightly in a world of faithlessness. Shining brightly in a world of faithlessness. And once again, Jesus tells us about the kind of teaching from the law that is inadequate, or in this case, simply wrong. It has been said to you by some teachers of the law, says Jesus, as an excuse for divorce, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, the quotation in that verse is from Deuteronomy chapter 24, and it's from some of the legislation in the Mosaic law on how to deal with divorce once it has happened. Um, it's part of a set of regulations as it happens to design to protect the divorced wife from being abused. But what seems to have been happening as Jesus is speaking is that some teachers of the law were taking those regulations and saying something like this. They were saying, look, Moses mentions divorce. That must mean it's okay. You're tired of your wife? Go ahead. Just make sure you issue issue her a certificate. It's all fine. But Jesus says, no. But I tell you, says Jesus, that is not good enough. Indeed, it, it has always been the case. All such casual divorce results in adultery. Now, I should say here that my personal view on this is that divorce may be a legitimate thing to do in certain extreme circumstances. You can see that Jesus hints at that even here. But actually, Jesus' concern here is not to say everything there is to be said about divorce. That is not his concern. Remember his bigger concern. His concern is to make sure that his disciples are different. And his concern is to keep his disciples from that kind of casual, flippant divorce. The kind of divorce that today seems to result in some people changing their partners about the same rate as they might change their car. Jesus wants his disciples to be different. He wants them to stay faithful in their marriages. And yet, and yet, I know that uh, this is going to be a deeply painful reminder for some of you here tonight. I was teaching on this very couple of verses to a group in Sydney a few years ago. And as I was teaching that, I knew the group quite well. And I also knew that about half the people in front of me, half the people in front of me had been through a divorce. That, you know, that, that is the reality of the world that we live in. And I imagine, though I don't know, that there may be a number in, in that position here tonight. But I don't want to dodge what Jesus says here. And I have to say it again, if, with the emphasis on the if, if there is something in this teaching that rightly convicts you. Let it convict you. Indeed, if any of the teaching that we've looked at tonight on anger and lust as well convicts you, let it convict you. If it leaves you feeling desperate and and crushed, 
in a broken world. Go back to the beginning again. Come back to the beginning again. Come back to Jesus' solemn promises to the desperate and crushed in a broken world. Chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And let me also take you forward in the gospel uh, to Jesus' words. These are from chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, and I've got them printed on the, on the handouts. Jesus says this, Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you need to do that tonight, do it. If you need to do it again tonight, do it. Do it as we share in the Lord's Supper tonight, desperately clinging to the finished work of Jesus in his death and resurrection. That would be a great thing to be praying as we take communion together tonight. But I want to keep reminding you these Sunday evenings that Jesus' work doesn't finish with forgiveness. Jesus came to give us both a new identity as forgiven sinners in God's family and a new purpose in life. There is the unfinished work of taking the light of salvation out into the ends of the earth. And Jesus is insisting in his sermon that our behavior really should play a role in that. It's not the whole story by any means. It's not the whole story, but it should play a foundational role. And you can see that in uh, chapter 11, verse 29, even. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus, and learn from me. Learn from Jesus and be different. Now, I was deeply encouraged in this uh, just a few days ago. Uh, when a good friend of ours uh, told us about her recent experience. And you see, she's been struggling as a Christian for years, worried about how, how little she felt she had changed as a Christian. And I'm sure there are many of us here tonight who could empathize with that struggle. And yet within a very short space of time, both her non-Christian sister and her non-Christian boss both commented on how different she really was. You know, it it did surprise her. Nevertheless, they had noticed something. And that does make me wonder. It may be that we're already doing what Jesus teaches here to some extent already. But it's patchy and it's uneven because we haven't yet grasped the value of it and we don't pursue it as we should That is, our problem is that we haven't really seen the potential there is to be shaped into the kind of disciples Jesus would love us to be. The kind of disciple we've seen sketched out tonight, the kind of disciple who, when finding themselves in an inflammatory situation, whether it's in the church family or whether it's outside, brings calm and reconciliation. 
The kind of disciple who win among work colleagues who flirt and, and giggle and maybe some of them are clogging up their hard drives with, on their computers with filth. The kind of disciple who stands out as someone the opposite sex can feel completely safe with and unthreatened by. The kind of disciple who is faithful and steadfast through all the ups and downs and winds and storms of marriage. The kind of disciple who finds none of this easy, none of it, finds it relentlessly hard, in fact. But in their weakness and in their desperate dependence upon the grace of God, they then demonstrate God at work in their lives. So when I send my uh, children to school tomorrow morning, I will indeed be powerless on my own to make them stand out as different. But God can do it. And he will do it, we're learning here, he will do it by setting in their hearts the kind of vision that we've been looking at tonight that they might be the kind of disciples who bring perhaps complete strangers to praise their Father in heaven. And as our Father sends all of us out into a difficult world tomorrow, that's exactly the vision that we're going to need too. Well, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to pray first uh, with confession, acknowledging that in these area of areas of life, all of us in this building tonight fall short. And we particularly want to pray for those who are seeing that for the first time. May they come to the Lord Jesus. And we particularly want to pray for those who are struggling in these areas or who have pasts full of hurt and difficulty. Please bring them comfort in the Lord Jesus. And we want to pray for all of us tonight that in our hearts you would set us a greater vision one which has the death and resurrection of Jesus in the past, as we'll be celebrating in a moment in the Lord's Supper. And one which has the kingdom of heaven in the future. And one in which we have a task to do, a glorious task to do, of bringing light out into the world. And we pray that in our weakness, you would show yourself at work that we might bring praise to our Father in heaven. And we ask of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.